I have been thinking, and the Lord has been speaking to me about trials and tribulations and suffering and pain, both physically, spiritually, emotionally, and every other way. And what I want to say today really is drawn from things, really drawn from the teachings of my dad, things I have heard others speak and share, but they impacted me in a certain way. And so I want to, I want to try to share with you what God spoke to me through it. So bear with me and let's believe God that we'll hear what he wants us to hear. You know, there's a passage in um, Psalms that is quite remarkable. Before I was afflicted, I went astray, but now I keep your word. This is Psalm 119. And I want us to think about what we're hearing in light of what Brother Dan said. Last Sunday, remember, he stood up and he said, God is good. We need to remember, God is good. Okay? Before I was afflicted, I went astray, but now I keep your word. The very next word. You are good and do good. So teach me your statutes. Then we go down to verse 71. It is good for me that I have been afflicted. That I may learn your statutes. The law of your mouth is better to me than thousands of coins of gold and silver. Whatever the affliction is that I go through, whatever the pain is that I go through, whatever the trial is that I go through, that is good for me so that I might learn your statutes, I keep this in my heart and in my mind. Your hands have made me and fashioned me. Give me understanding that I may learn your commandments. Those who fear you will be glad when they see me. Because I have hoped in your word. I know, O Yahweh, that your judgments are right and that in faithfulness you have afflicted me. And the Lord started speaking to me when I was, the last Sunday that I was in Idaho, and I started thinking about the comment we frequently make that says, I'm really seeking the Lord because I feel like he wants to give birth to something in my life. I really am trying to give birth to the purpose of God in my life. I'm trying to give birth to my ministry. 
I'm trying to give birth to my calling. I'm trying to give birth to my business. And I started thinking about that. And I started thinking about how in that place where we're trying to give birth to whatever it is we're trying to give birth to, we think oftentimes that this is the most impossible, difficult, hard thing that anybody has ever gone through. Certainly Brother Blair probably didn't go through this excruciating agony in trying to give birth to his ministry or Brother Howard or Brother Joel or Brother Ossie or Brother Dan or anybody else. They did not go through what, do you realize what I'm going through? I would venture to say that every minister in this church that you look up to and respect would tell you, yes, they did. Yes, they did. And I think about a mother. First-time mothers oftentimes are totally speechlessly overwhelmed. Sister Amanda, would you say that most first-time mothers come out of that first birth or are in that first birth labor and think, ah, this is no big deal. (laughs) Do they, most of them generally think that's probably the most difficult thing that any person has ever gone through in their life? Yeah. They do, don't they? I actually know of people who have lost relationships because someone in love and grace and was encouraging them. That was a wonderful birth. And the person who went through the birth was insulted because they were convinced that no human being had ever gone through what they went through before. Even though, what do we have, eight billion people? (laughs) And we laugh, and there's a, a humor in that. And I'm laughing too. But the fact is, is for that mother who has just gone through that birth, in her world, nothing of a sort has ever happened at all under any circumstance comparable to it. It has taken her to the extreme that she has never gone to before. There is an overwhelming magnitude of pain and struggle that has no existence in her world, in her experience. So there is a sense in which that's the most overwhelming thing that has ever happened. That's true in your world. And I remember when my my first son was born and my wife didn't know how to push, how to 
labor, didn't know any of it. And we had been in a 42-hour marathon, and it came time to push. And you have just been through the most intense thing that you have been through, that you've ever gone through in your life, and now it's, now it's time for the hard part, right? And of course, my wife, she was still basically a kid. Uh, well, she just turned 20. But she was just ecstatic because now she could do something. And in the pushing process, my mother was coaching her and guiding her and teaching her what, what she's looking for when she pushes. And she says, okay, like that, like that, like that. Now, I want you to push as hard as you possibly can. You can't push any harder right there. And then I want you to push a little harder and hold it. And one of the key things that she was showing my wife is you have to push right into that place of the most excruciating pain. You have to push right where it hurts. You can't push the hurt away. You can't push the pain away. I've heard my mother, my sister, my wife have all served in midwifery. And I've heard them tell about mothers who are trying to learn this process. And they, every time they push, it's almost like the baby goes the wrong way. That's pretty hard, isn't it? Why? Because they're pushing away the pain. They're trying to push the pain away rather than push right into that place of the most excruciating pain you've ever experienced in your life. And you say, okay, God, I can embrace this pain. And when I embrace this pain and I press into it with everything I've got, then a little bit more and then I keep the pressure on. A head is going to start to crown. And a baby is going to be born. You know they say that in human bonds, human connections, and I don't, somebody correct me, this may be wrong, but I know it's one of, if, not the, if, if they're not correct, it is one of the most. But it's been said anyway, that the bond between a mother and her child is one of the most insoluble bonds between two people that there is. Why is that? It's easy. It was born in the embrace of pain. That's why. That mother went to the extremity. She went right to the brink of life and death and brought forth life because she was willing to give everything she had to not run away from the pain, not push the pain away, but to press into the pain.
to press into the struggle, to press into the, the trial, to press into the, the battle. You know, there are no victories. You say, I'm, I'm seeking the victory. Okay. Well, that means that you have an enemy. That means there's somebody has come and is attacking. That means there's a war going on. There's a battle being waged. You want a victory without a battle? It ain't going to happen. You want a baby without striving and, and struggling and pushing into that pain? You're never going to get it. It was good for me that I was afflicted. And I think about how many times we use that term kind of lightly. I'm trying to give birth to something. If you really are trying to give birth to something, get ready for the most painful ordeal that you have ever gone through in your life. If you really say God is trying to birth something in me or through me or birth me into something in the kingdom of God, get ready for the most difficult ordeal for your flesh that you have ever gone through in your life. Get ready to be taken to your extremity. Where you go any further, what do they say? Uh, the, ch the pain of childbirth is the highest measure, uh, supposedly, isn't that right? Amen. I'm trying to give birth to my ministry. Well, it seems to me like maybe you have a different perspective of what your ministry is or giving birth to it is, possibly. Because you're trying to avoid the iron sharpening iron. You're trying to avoid the pressure that is going to bring forth something different in your life. You know, we, nobody likes the idea of pain. Pain is a result of our actions, of our sin. God doesn't beat us and scourge us and f with his, you know, whatever the wrathful God is up there just waiting to bludgeon his creatures to death. He, he, that's not it. But he does allow it to do something for a purpose. And he allows it rightly because he actually has already done it. Crucifixion on a cross is the most excruciating uh, form of execution that there probably ever was. And I remember when I was young... My dad read to us a account of what crucifixion would have been in the time of Jesus. And when it says, by his stripes we are healed, do you know what those stripes 
are. They would take the, the condemned and they would bind his wrists to a post and they would take a cat of nine tails with shards of glass or bone or metal in the whip and they would flog that person and rip the skin off of their back from their shoulders to their heels. And oftentimes there would be a pile of flesh behind the condemned from the beating. This is what it's referring to when it says by his stripes we are healed. And he was wounded for our transgression. And then they would take that man, that condemned, and they would have them, unless the beating was so severe that they were not able to because of loss of blood or, or otherwise, they would have them carry their own cross, which it says they had someone else carry Jesus' cross, which... Uh, gives you a sense of what the nature of that flogging was. His flogging. And then they would take that raw back and they would throw them down on the cross and they would drive square spikes through their wrists and their ankles and they would then elevate them and as they hung there, if they wanted to exhale, they had to drag themselves up the cross with those spiked wrists and, and ankles to exhale and then they would inhale and drop back down. There were men who took five days to die they would break their legs to keep them from being able to push up and exhale. And Jesus died the same day because when they went to break his legs, uh, he was already dead. I wasn't intending to get into the particulars of crucifixion except to say that that pain is what gives us any hope of, of salvation. And just like the pain that that mother presses into, the pain of crucifixion is the hope of resurrection. I once heard a man say, uh, spoke, I heard a recording of a man. He said, you want to hear from God? Well, he whispers, he whispers in your ear, he whispers in our blessings. He speaks to us. You know you've heard. He speaks to us 
in our conscience and he shouts to us in our pain. There's something breaks, clears everything out of the way when we're in that place of our extremity and our husband, who our desire is toward, is saying, okay, honey, look in my eyes. Breathe with me. The midwives are saying, okay, like that, like that, like that. Push, push, push. Breathe, breathe, breathe. It's in our pain that we hear him the clearest, the loudest, the sharpest. He's saying, I'm right there. I'm right there with you. I've been there before. I hung on that same tree. You can do it. You can make it. I have not authorized pain to destroy you. I've authorized it to make you what I want you to become. I've authorized it only to press you to the point where everything else can be shed away. Paul said, therefore I take pleasure in infirmities, in reproaches, in needs, in persecutions, in distresses, in distresses. Oh, brother, don't you see how distressing this is? Don't you understand what this feels like? I take pleasure in distresses for Christ's sake. For when I am weak, then I am strong. When all of your strength, when all of my strength has been stripped away, now we have the opportunity for the strength of the resurrection to be made manifest. I remember once my dad was speaking to us about exercise. He was using it to illustrate something. You know, it says endure hardship as discipline. It says the Lord disciplines those he loves and chastens everyone he receives as a son. So endure hardship as discipline. Now we turn that into endure hardship as punishment. God is, is punishing us. But if we look at like this for a minute, if an athlete gets accepted to whatever the team is that he wants to be a part of, and they say, okay, you've been drafted. You're going to be part of the team now. We've got trainers and we've got all of these people and they're going to teach you how to eat. And they're going to teach you how to, when to sleep and when to be awake and when to exercise, what kinds of exercise to do and when to run. And he starts his exercise regimen. And he's, he, he gets into it. This is difficult. Not everyone who competes wins. Run in such a way as to win. So exercise 
in such a way that you'll be able to win. And so he's exercising. What does he do when he's exercising? Do those weights give him strength? Do they impart strength somehow to him? No, they don't. So what is the hardship of that exercise do for him? Well, first, it tears his muscle. This is what my dad shared us. It damages his muscle. That's part of the discipline of his exercise, is it tears something so that his body will then kick in and rebuild it stronger. So think about this. If you're enduring hardship as the discipline of an athlete, if you're enduring hardship as discipline, then the hardship, it's not imparting strength to you. The weights are not imparting strength to you per se. You are gaining strength to contend with the weights. You gain strength for the hardship. The hardship teaches you how to have the strength to deal with the hardship. So the hardship becomes a tremendous mercy. You've never been through this hardship that you're going to go through. You've never done what you're going to do. So we start exercising our senses. We start exercising our discernment. We start exercising our perspective change. Why? It's not to hurt us. It's to make us. It's to equip us to be what we want to become. It's to equip us for the battle that we are going to face. The, the hardship isn't the battle. The hardship is preparing us for the battle. The weights are not the strength. The weights are equipping us for the struggle that we're going to face. If it was good for me to be afflicted, no discipline seems pleasant but painful. So pain in our fallen state can actually affect a positive change. We think, well, in the kingdom of God, there should be no pain. Once we've crossed from death to life, it should all be life and happy and no pain. Well, then, you might want to th consider that because I think of something Brother, Brother Josiah spoken about hunger pangs and, and thirst indicating to us that we need to eat or we need to drink. I think Brother Dan has ministered in the past about leprosy and how leprosy, or as they call it now, Hansen's disease, is where our body ceases to recognize pain. In a fallen world, which we live in, brothers and sisters, even though we are immeasurably blessed to be living 
in the body of Christ, we are still resident in a fallen world. So in a fallen world, we have to be able to feel pain. If we can't feel pain, as a leper cannot, most of the time people do not die because of leprosy per se. They die as a result of the injury that they put on themselves without knowing it. And so they burn themselves on a stove and they don't feel the pain. And they have a, a wound or they, they have something going on in their lower extremity, their feet, and they don't feel anything. They break a bone and they don't feel anything because they don't feel pain. In this fallen world under judgment, God uses pain to sensitize us to his voice. God uses distresses. He uses persecutions. He uses reproaches for us as individuals and for us as a body even. And he says, whoa, we say it. Whoa, boy, this has been a hard time. We've been going through some struggles We've been going through some difficulties. The Lord is treating us as sons. He is seeking that we strengthen ourselves. He's saying, yes, press into it. Yes, push into it. Because there's something that I've called you to give birth to. There's something that I've called you as a people to give birth to. And there's something that I've called you as individuals to give birth to. And you do not yet have the strength to give birth. You do not yet have the strength to, to defeat the enemies that are going to come. And so I'm allowing you to encounter hard times. I'm allowing you to encounter difficulties. Yes, maybe you fell flat on your face. But I felt like God had called me. I felt like God had called me to, to serve him. I felt like God called me to, to be something for his people. And now look at me. You're not strong enough. You need to get some more exercise under your belt. You need to run a few more races. You need to do a few more repetitions. You need to get back there in that prayer room gym and start doing some exercises to strengthen yourself for the battle that defeated you. That's what discipline is. It's not saying you're rejected of God. It's not saying there's no more hope anymore. It says, oh my, this is someone I want on the team. This is someone who needs to be part of the purpose of God, that God is advancing on the earth, but they're not yet strong enough. Let's go to work. Let's endure this hardship as the discipline of the athlete. My dad said once, and I heard someone else say, when we go through trials, God is trusting us. He is entrusting us with his purpose. Amen. With his plan. 
We go through fiery trials. What it says, my brethren, count it all joy when you fall into various trials, knowing that the testing of your faith produces patience. Pain is allowed to come to us. But listen to this. This is when Satan appears before the Lord and wants to go after Job. And Yahweh says, Behold, all that he has is in your power. Only do not put forth your hand on him. Satan comes back later and says to Yahweh, skin for skin. Yes, all that a man has he will give for his life. However, put forth your hand now and touch his bone and his flesh and he will curse you to your face. So Yahweh said to Satan, Behold, he is in your power. Only spare his life. He has not authorized it to destroy you. He has only allowed it to come to strengthen you, to test you, to challenge you. He has entrusted you with his nature. And he says, will you press through it? Will you push all the way through and continue to trust me? I cannot help but think of one of the most eloquent statements that my dad ever wrote. And he wrote it, I, I believe it's in the family book. And he says, if we can have the faith to see a face behind the flames and to recognize a hand behind the seemingly incomprehensible blows raining down on us, then we're going to know, we're going that, that to recognize that God is doing his work. He's allowing trial and tribulation and suffering and pain to come into our life to purge us of the things that are not fit for his kingdom. My dad spoke about how, um, how God had entrusted Job with his nature, with his essence. And so when the devil comes to kill him, the devil comes to torment him, the devil comes to beat him up, the devil comes to take away all the things that he put his trust in, or that the devil claimed that he put his trust in, the Lord says, okay, you're allowed to do all that. You're not allowed to destroy him. God entrusted his nature to us. God entrusted his nature to these frail, broken, messed up human beings who make mistakes, who are blind at times, who don't see as we ought to see. And he trusted that when we said, Lord, I'm going to give my life completely to follow you. 
that we meant along with Job that though he slay me, yet will I trust in him. Lord, there's nothing that can come that is going to come between me and giving birth to the baby that you have put in my life to birth. Lord, the pain is not too much. I trust you, Lord. You haven't authorized it to destroy me. You've only authorized it to strengthen me. Lord, you haven't authorized it to eliminate my gifts, to eliminate who I am to your people, to eliminate who I am as your child. You have authorized it to make me who I am as your child. And I trust you. And though you slay me, I'm going to keep on trusting. I'm going to keep on believing. I'm going to keep turning back. Tears running down my face. But nonetheless saying, Lord, I don't think I can do this. But by your grace, by your power, by your strength, by your love, I know all things are possible with you. I remember one time I was sitting right down there and it was one of the most troubling times that I had gone through yet and I felt like my dad had trusted me and I had failed. And I, I didn't know, I didn't know how, how I could get back out of the hole that I had put myself in. And he had put, you know, it was a massive risk for him to trust me the way he did. And I felt like I had... I felt like I had, I didn't feel like I had, I knew I had, and he knew I had, and God knew I had. I had let him down. And I remember sitting there, and uh, Brother Nathan and Sister Regina stood up and started singing. Hear my cry, O God. Attend unto my prayer. From the end of the earth, I will cry to you. And when my heart is overwhelmed, lead me to the rock that is higher than I. For you have been a shelter for me, a strong tower from the enemy. I will abide in your tabernacle forever and I will trust in the shelter of your wings. Oh God. And I remember that feeling. I remember sitting right down there and I, I was just looking at the sky, looking at the ceiling and I could see the rock that was higher than I was. And I'm telling you, brothers and sisters, 
It does not matter how we fail. It matters how we respond to that failure. It does matter if we fail, and, and there will be consequences and all that. But in our relationship with God, if our heart will turn back to him and say, hear my cry, oh God. Lord, I'm not going to give up. I'm not going to turn my back. I know that I can trust you completely. I know that the trials and the tribulations and the struggles and the fears and the doubts and the anxieties that I'm feeling, I can overcome them. They are not meant to destroy me. They are meant to make me, to empower me, to strengthen me to become what you have intended me all along to be. If God can't trust us to go through those things and overcome them and be strengthened and empowered by them, how are we going to be able to empathize with a world that is completely broken, that is completely crushed under the weight of its sins? How are we going to be able to be vessels that can extend the grace and mercy and love of God to that world? How are we going to do that if he can't trust us to hold fast, to stand firm, to press when you see the flames all around and you say this is the most painful, arduous, difficult thing I have ever done and he's saying yeah I know yeah I know but I see a little bit of brown hair there's a baby that is about to be born I know it's painful I know it's impossible I know it's difficult but there's a baby about to be born and you have got to press into it thank you Jesus then he can trust us with those who so desperately need what we have been given. Remember, and this can become cliche, but don't hear it as cliche. When the three Hebrews went into the fire, Nebuchadnezzar said, what is this that I see? Did we not cast three men into the fire? And they said, yes, king and he said then what is this that I see there are four men and the fourth looks like the son of God and I know people have said it and it can feel like a cliche or sound like one but when you're in the fire the fourth man never came out he's still there when you're in the trial, when you're in the tribulation, when you're in the struggle, when you're in the difficulty, he's still there. Amen. And he's just waiting for you to, to get in the fire and let those bonds 
be burnt off so that he can walk with you there, so that he can strengthen you there, so that he can empower you there, so that he can purify you there, so that he can burn off the dross there, so that you can, so that you can be made like him, a child of God. Amen. Showing forth the image of the Son of God in your life. And I just say to God's people, we have been entrusted with much. We have been, God has entrusted us to go through pain. Amen. He has entrusted us to go through the trial of birthing the corporate Christ child on the face of the earth at this hour. He trusted us with it. And I say to every single one and to all, it doesn't matter what it looks like. It doesn't matter how difficult it is. Amen. It doesn't matter how impossible it is. Amen. Brothers and sisters, we have been given the grace. We have been given the strength. We have been given the nourishment, the food, the word to press into the pain, to give birth to the corporate Christ child. So don't hold back. Don't shrink back. Don't be discouraged when you are rebuked by him. Don't be downcast or beaten up about the ears when he speaks to you and rebukes you sharply. What he's saying is, I accept you. I love you. I believe that you're going to push and push and push and push. I believe you are. And so I'm going to keep speaking, keep rebuking, keep encouraging, keep challenging. Amen. Until you bring to birth the purpose of God in your life. When you say, I'm wanting God to bring to birth something in my life, Think of that mother. I'm wanting God to take me to my extremity. I'm wanting God to take me beyond what I have ever done or what I can do. I'm wanting him to take me to the place where I get to experience something outside of myself. And believe me, you will. You are.
but all you have given me, Jesus, bring new wine out of me. So I yield to you with you. 
sometimes we don't have to look for it sometimes God allows things and orchestrates things that they surprise us and then we have to seek his face to know how to respond to it but as brother Abraham was speaking to us I thought of the story of Jesus in the garden and how it says that he kept coming and finding them sleeping but on the last time it says he went a little beyond them and fell on his face. And the new place of sacrifice that God is calling us to is a little beyond fear, a little beyond selfishness, a little beyond the slumber of complacency, a little beyond ourselves to that extremity of a new expression of love. Listen, I I feel the love of God here. I feel so much hope I feel more hope for the body of Christ that I'm part of than I've ever felt in my life. Paul said that God has had compassion on me, the worst of sinners, so that I would be a living display of his patience and kindness toward those who believe. And what I hear the Lord speaking to us today is don't separate your pain from God's purpose. Don't forget it's tied to birth. So many times we, we talk about our pain as if it's our excuse. You don't know the pain I've been through. Okay. Did God allow that? Is He Lord? Then what was the purpose behind it? I've never heard or seen a single person get into the crucible and burn out and say, I'm so glad I did. Never once, but I've never seen one brother or sister go all the way through and stick it out and not say, I'm so glad I did. There are a lot of people around you who have given birth to ministries, to churches, to callings, to changes, to victory. There are people who have come out of the fire and they don't stink like smoke. They shine like they've been with the Son of God. 
So come on through, come on through, come on through. That's what the Lord's telling us. I feel more faith for the body of Christ. God is merciful to us to be disciplining us like this and bringing forth ministries. That's what we're hearing. That's what we're seeing. I've got all the faith and hope in the world for what we can be here. I just wanted to say, you know, I've seen this so many times that I'm, I'm no longer surprised, although I'm still, I still stand in awe of God when it happens. But, you know, I didn't have any idea what Brother Abraham was going to share here today. I don't remember if he and I have ever really talked on these themes very much. I did share with two brothers in the last two days really the same scenario that you just talked about with birth. And I, I'm very close to a, a midwife in the fellowship, so um, these themes stay with me quite a bit. But I was just telling him, um, I said, you know, she's delivered almost 500 babies, and she was the first hands to hold a lot of you in, in this room. And, um, and yet, I've been with her through eight births of her own. And when it comes to your own struggle, it doesn't matter what you know. It doesn't matter how many other people you've helped. There's something that God works in you. And it's hard to see. Uh, you just see it a little different when you're there, you know. And I was telling him how she knows all this, but she'll, she'll you know, there's that look in your vulnerability. There's that look that comes in, into her the face of the strongest people and they say it hurts it hurts and it's always stuck with me what one of our midwives one of our births said to my wife in that moment when she was saying that and the sister said good good push where it hurts amen and I just shared that with two brothers in the last 48 hours but not with anybody up here and um, when that kind of thing happens, I know sometimes God is underlining to us because we're not listening. But there's also times when he speaks like this out of the mouth of two or three witnesses just to tell us that it's him, just to tell us that he cares, just to tell us that he knows what we're going through. Amen. And, um, you know, I, I think about... Well, I thought about a couple of things. I thought about how Jesus says that a woman when she is in labor has sorrow because her time has come. But when she comes through it, my paraphrase, he says she forgets her pain for joy that a child has been born into the world. You know, and it doesn't last forever. <laughs> The struggle does not last forever. And there are things, there are ways in which it sticks with us forever. But there's also ways in which it morphs into joy. And, and then that makes me think of Jesus saying, I mean, I'm sorry, the book of Hebrews, where it says, you know, since we're surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off every weight and the sin that so easily entangles us. And let us run with endurance the race marked out for us, looking unto Jesus, who is the author and the finisher of our faith, who 
for the joy set before him endured the cross and scorned its shame and sat down at the right hand of God, the throne of God. And, I, you know, I sometimes think, what was that joy? Was the joy just that it was going to be over with? Was the joy just going to be that he survived? Was it just going to be to have a throne in heaven? You know, or were you and I the joy, or at least part of the joy that he was looking forward to? And it's the fruit of the struggle that is the joy. And I just, I just feel today God has that for us. <laughs> what we're going through, there is a joy that is going to be in front of us, and the joy is going to be to see that our sacrifice, our struggle, even if it was because of our mistakes, produced life in others. John says, I have no greater joy than to see my children walking in the truth. What a joy it can be to see God. The things I went through, the mistakes I made, the mess that I made, somehow you redeemed it, you used it, and it turned into, it turned into life for others. We're carrying about in our bodies the dying of the Lord Jesus so that life may live in others. And there's no joy like that. Jesus went through all of that excruciating pain so that he could identify with us and so that we would know that he can identify with us. And God is shaping us into vessels that can bear a portion of that same, that same kind of love and empathy and compassion for others. And I am more encouraged about the power of God to guard his church than I have ever been. Hallelujah. Hallelujah.